Father in heaven, Lord, we ask of you once again to condescend into this chapel and to bless us in mind, spirit, body, heart, every aspect of our lives, Lord. Father, we ask that you may inspire us and empower us and motivate us to a higher level. Lord, get us out of our indifference, Lord. Save us, Father, for we sink in this world. Help us to understand the things that we need to understand and help us save our souls, souls of our friends, our loved ones, and to usher in your second coming, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, by a show of hands, how many of you are tired? Be honest. Let's be honest. Okay, I am too. Um, for this portion of the, the seminar, this will be a lot more practical, and hopefully the, the previous presentation was a little bit above your heads. That's what it was intended to be. If you understood it, God bless you. If you didn't understand it, that's okay. Um, there are some aspects you need to understand you don't. That's okay too. Um, this part is a lot more practical. There are 15 points, so if you guys have notes, it'll help you a little pen and a paper or a PDA. 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 Um, to help you keep awake also, but also retain what you have learned. Um, this is not a comprehensive list, but just a list that I put together for today. Let's see. Can we do this? Can we have everyone move up to the front as much as possible and squeeze into the center aisle? Because there's some people um, in Babylonic confusion here. Okay. okay, let's go. Winsome, living the life with all your heart. Winsome, atheists are finding strategic ways to implement, enforce, promulgate the ideas throughout society without being completely obvious. Here's the thing. Atheists are strategic thinkers. They've implemented into educational curriculum since the 1960s and 70s to white out religion from the face of society. Now, you realize atheists have been doing this for centuries, but they realize, you know what? It's impossible to erase religion from humanity. They've been trying it all these years. So they said, you know what? Let's compromise. If we can just have them worship in private and not bring it out to public, then we've won, essentially. So here we are today, and we live in America, and it's almost illegal to bring out anything religious in public. You've got to be ashamed. And I was just talking to a, a, a person here. People, if they're gay, they come out openly gay. I am gay. You ever see those parades? I am gay. Like this, they have this fervor in them, and I'm like, I am proud. And then Christians are like, I, I'm a... I'm a I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm a Christian. You know, where did these attitudes come from? You understand? And they've been, they've been implemented into our society. And we've got to become just as um, aggressive without being annoyingly aggressive in society. That's what we're trying to say. Theists, especially biblical theists such as Adventists, must do the same. We must impact society, culture, and every other field and discipline out there. So friends, and there's a lot of young people here, and we, we promote this at public ministries, if you're going to be an anthropology major, go ahead, study anthropology your heart out, but bring God into it. If you're going to study chemistry, become the best chemist out there, but study how scripture comes into chemi uh, chemistry. We need biblical chemists out there, biblical anthropologists. If you're going to be an investment banker, show the world what a Christian banker can do. 
If you're going to be a farmer, show what a Christian farmer can do. Yes? We're going to enforce, we're going to go out through society as much as possible. Um, and I believe, and this may sound even radical for some of you, we need even Christian filmmakers. Okay? Now, I don't believe we're there to entertain people, you know, understand. But we have to take the gospel and to formulate it in a way that the people who are visually oriented, they can believe the gospel that way. And so uh, projects such as Final Events, these, we can move beyond that. That's a great resource. But we can do, uh, we can expand more than that, just that is our limitation. Um, but you understand what I'm saying there. This lecture will look at 15 suggestions. Number one, read scripture. Okay. Now this sounds like, uh, what? <laughs> this is stupid. Okay. Read scripture. Now, I don't know why I have to emphasize this, but today we refuse to read scripture. We really do. We live in a society that does not want to read scripture. Now, here's what Ellen White has to say about scriptures. She says, now the A, B, she didn't write A and B. That's, those are my things there. Okay. <laughs> Bible reading. The critical examination of Bible subjects, essays written upon topics which would improve the mind and impart knowledge, the study of prophecies, or the precious, precious lessons of Christ, these will have an influence to what? Strengthen the mental powers and increase what? Increase spirituality. So if someone says, Pastor Justin, how do I become a smarter person? Read scripture. Pastor Justin, how do I become a more spiritual person? Read scripture. Fundamental point. Okay. Now, I recommend you guys read King James or NASB or NIV. Not so much NIV, but if you have it, I mean, it's not a great translation, but you read it. ESV, just get a, get a good translation and read it. Okay. Now, I know there's some people who are KJV only. That's my favorite, favorite translation. Read that also. But don't get tied down with, uh, have you guys heard of today's English version? I mean, it's great for reading it to your first grade and kids, but for as a, as a devotional study. Um, and if you guys have it in this room, forgive me, I'm not blasting you guys. I'm just, you know, I am blasting it. Okay. Um, <laughs> she continues to say, A familiar acquaintance with the scriptures sharpens the discerning powers, fortifies the soul against who? The attacks of Satan. Now, this is elementary stuff, but this needs to be said. It really does as a foundational point. How many want to start reading scripture on a consistent basis, friends? Now, she says these points. Bible reading, the critical examination of Bible subjects. There are some hard topics in scripture. Your objective is to find these points and study these. Okay. Now, if you think the Bible is easy, there are some hard things in the scripture. So, get with it. <laughs> uh, and third, essays written upon topics which would improve the mind and impart knowledge. We have the internet today. You can find any essay on every topic underneath the sun. The study of prophecies. Everyone in this room should know the 2300, the 1335, the 1290, 1260. Okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go study it out. <laughs> and the Precious Lesson of Christ. Christ Object Lessons, great book for beginners and for professionals. Anyway. Okay, number two. The secret. Skepticism can have no power over a soul that with humility searches the scriptures. Okay. Now here's the secret. You need to have humility. When we approach scripture, scripture should always be approached with prayer. Now we're going to actually read a quote later on that's super powerful. And I, blown my, I blew my head off when I read it because it was just crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, humility... In spiritual intention, scriptures, intellectual content, I have no idea what that means, so just forget that. 
Finding this balance is the secret. Having only humility results in no progression of truth. Having only scriptural knowledge results in spiritual pride and intellectualism. Okay. Now let me ask you guys this question. Which danger do you think Adventism is going towards? Yeah, the, second. the second one. You want for the first? For the first. Um, the truth is both. <laughs> okay. Depending on whether you're liberal or conservative, you, I mean, it's either one. Um, some people say, you know what, we, we have to be humble, we can't be arrogant, let's approach this, but everyone is really right in the end. You know, then what's the point of studying anyway? Uh, the other one is, I know my scripture more than you do, so get out of here, you know. Um, what, what do they call them, Bible thumpers, Bible batters, whatever they are, I don't know. We need humility in scripture together. Number three, prayer for the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's powerful. Again, these are one of those long quotes that I hate, but so powerful I put them in here. Without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we shall be continually liable to rest the Scriptures or to misinterpret them. There is much reading of the Bible that is without profit, and in many cases, a positive what? Crazy! She says, if you read this, it will injure you. I'm like, what? She says, don't read this, because it may injure you. Now, she doesn't just say that. She continues to say, when the Word of God is opened without reverence and without prayer... When the thoughts and affections are not fixed upon God or in harmony with His will, the mind is clouded with doubt, and in the very study of the Bible, what? Skepticism isn't created, it's also strengthened. The enemy takes control of the thoughts and he suggests interpretations that are not correct. 5T704. So, do you see how careful it is? Bible study, you should, you should never read the Bible like, hey, let's read scripture, and you open the Bible and read randomly. That is one of the most dangerous things to do. Always approach this book with a sense of reverence. Amen, friends? Say, Lord, I am incapable of understanding this. I need your spirit. Navigate through this for me. Number four. Keep the Sabbath. Obvious. Had the Sabbath been universally kept, man's thoughts and affections would have been led to the Creator as an object of reverence and worship. And there would have never been an idolater, an atheist, or an infidel. Powerful quote. And you guys probably read this from Great Controversy before. But here's, this is an awesome privilege that we have. Do you guys realize we are the great-great-grandchildren of God's people? I mean, we are God's people. But we are in a line of ancient Sabbath keepers. We are an evidence that God exists. The fact that Sabbath keepers exist is evidence that God himself does exist. So continuing to keep the Sabbath is not a rule or a law. It is your duty as a Bible-believing Christian. By keeping this day, you're saying, God, you exist. Isn't that awesome? By you preparing on Friday, you're saying, God, you exist. You're saying to the world, God, you exist. Therefore, I will not put gas on Saturday afternoon. By you keeping the Sabbath, you're saying to the world, Lord, you are the Lord of everything. So never, ever relegate this day. Just, oh, this is the day where we don't watch TV. Anyway, number five. The best argument. This is a very powerful quote. The life, the words, the deportment are the most forcible argument, the most solemn appeal to the careless, irreverent, and skeptical. Let the life and character be the strong argument for Christianity then men will be compelled to take knowledge of you that you have been with Jesus and have learned of him. CT 478. 
as much as we talked about last time with all the arguments and all these things, the best argument is if you say all these things and you're a mean jerk, the person won't be one to Christ in the end. Right, friends? Okay. It is your life. It is your character. Um, we, I know this, this, this wonderful sister. She's a very humble person. Um, and she's a very simple person. She doesn't know a lot. She refuses to, to, to learn about all these complex philosophies. Bless her heart. And she's witnessing to all these people. And she's witnessing to these intellectual professors of, of, of complex thoughts. And she just says, look, I don't know what you guys believe, but I know that Jesus loves me. And to think, and I'm thinking, man, you won't survive on the universe. You're going to get shred apart. But there's something about simplicity that everyone loves. There's something about, man, there's something different about this one. There's, some, there's something spiritual, godly about this person that people are naturally attracted to. That's what we need. So as much as we should exercise our minds, our character development is foremost the most powerful argument. Amen, friends? Amen. Okay. Number six. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, the context for this is for medical students who enter public universities. Uh, our missionary training program, by the way, as, as uh, is a... It, we believe is a prophecy foretold by Ellen White. She actually says that public ministries will be done and be led of, of people by God. Um, she actually foresaw public ministries in the future. And that's a crazy thought. And she actually saw it at the University of Michigan. Um, and she says this quote was used for medical students who go to the University of Michigan Medical School and to become missionaries while they're there. So they're learning, but also saving their, their students on the same process. So that's the context. Number six, be winsome. What does winsome mean, friends? What does winsome mean? Be winning. Okay, <laughs> be winning. Uh, winsome means be of a character. Oh, it's popped up. Be of a character that you will win some souls. It means being charming. Um, there's certain. There's some. There's a certain thing about winsome people. Um, Winsome people are not cold. They don't stare at you. They don't just kind of like have this straight face. Now, I'm an Asian. I have a hard time being winsome because we like to be this stoic, you know, stone-carved face. You know, I'm a male also. Uh, Christ calls us to be winsome, charming individuals, yes? Winning, as, as Sister Aiko says. Now, here's the thing. We need to smile. Our first tactic in witnessing souls is to smile. Now, now, don't smile all the time because that freaks people out. It really does. <laughs> now, smile sometimes. Amen? Amen? Now, Mother Teresa says something. She says, smiling is the first step of showing Christ's love to the world. Powerful from a Catholic lady. She'll go into Calcutta and she sees this man half diseased, you know, gangrene and just sitting in his own filth and puke everywhere. You know what she does? She smiles. And this gentleman has never seen anyone smile to him before. And they don't even speak the same language. And she says, look, I'm trying to show this man that God loves him. Now, we don't live in these kind of conditions here in North America, but we need to have the same kind of attitude, friends. Okay? If you don't smile, people are not going to talk to you. Just simple law is that. Now, if you smile, people will be more apt to talk to you. And if you smile all the time, people will think you're weird. So just you know, think of it in, in all temperance, in all modesty. Um, listen intently. As Adventists, we have the hardest time with this, listening intently. John 3 and John 4 talks about, portrays a Jesus who listens intently. He listens to a scholar at midnight, and he listens to the low-class female lady at midday. 
and he's listening. Now, we have a hard time listening because we want to say, no, 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 but, but the Bible says da, 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 da. Listen first. If you listen more, you're actually winning more points. And they will be more apt to listen to you in the end. Okay? So be Christ-like and start listening. Um, husbands, if you listen to your wives, you listen, win a lot of points. Wives, if you listen to your husbands, win a lot of points. Uh, parents, listen to your children, win a lot of points. Children, try to listen to your parents. Okay. <laughs> Watch your tone. As Christians, it's very hard to watch your tone. Um, in the book, Voice, Speech, and Song, Ellen White talks about how Jesus' tone of voice was like a melodious song. Now, I'm like, what? Like, was Jesus singing when he was preaching? He's like, verily, verily, I say unto you. You know, I'm just imagining this. I don't know how, how it worked. But it was so pleasing to hear him talk. Yes? Now, and this is statistically proven, females are more sensitive to tone than males are. They actually did a study on this. Um, there is a difference between go, go, go. You know, I'm, that's funny. But you see the difference? The first go is accentuated and it hurts, doesn't it? Go! And some of you are like, huh. yeah, that's your natural reaction. Believe the Bible! You know, if you put the X's on the V's, it's different. Her eyes just got really huge. <laughs> okay, she's a female. Okay. Now, Females are just more intuitive with tone. That's why a lot of marriage problems are caused by a woman would say, you know, take out the garbage and put emphasis on certain garbage. <laughs> Men have a hard time discerning this. Take out the garbage is just one little to-do checklist. You know, he doesn't pick up on that. Okay. So gentlemen, watch your tone. Females, be more sensitive. It helps in your witnessing, basically. Okay. It takes away the sharpness of your life. Um, pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5, uh, 5.17. This is a very common verse. Um, the, book of, the, book of, the book of Nehemiah uh, talks about Tim Taylor to the rescue. His name is Tim Taylor. Um, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, talks about Nehemiah when he's faced in front of the king. He sends out an emergency prayer. All prayers need not to be done in kneeling and asking for the Lord for help. Yes? That can be done in your heart. So when you're talking to someone, you actually, this one guy, uh, we had an evangelistic series at the University of Michigan, and he said, uh, why are you guys doing this? Are you trying to convert us or something? And he just went out for like five minutes. And, you know, the whole time, you know, my carnal heart was like, shut up, man. Like, you're, you're, you're such a jerk. Why are you talking to me this way? Like, you know, you try to defend yourself. You understand what I'm saying? But your carnal heart. Whoa. Carnal heart. Thank you. And in my heart, I repented. And this poor guy, he's just talking and talking. He has no idea what's going inside here. But Lord, forgive me for thinking these thoughts. And I'm just praying in my heart. Just, and what's ironic is I'm pretending I'm listening to him. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And like, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to argue. I don't know, should I do an intellectual approach? Should I ask him what's his problem? You know, I don't know. What do I say to this guy? And I'm praying this. And finally, I thought of Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah did an emergency prayer. Lord, help me. Remember the three-word three prayer that the elder bachelor talked about last night? Lord, save me. Lord, save me. At that moment, I knew exactly what to talk about. I was like, hey, um, what was your name? I asked him what his name was. Now, I would have never thought that. I'm like, that's brilliant, asking his name. <laughs> that was the Holy Spirit. And the guy was taken aback. He's like, uh, my, my name? Yeah, what's, what? Do you have a name? What's your name? <laughs> and he was like, John. It's not John, but I'm just saying John. 
And uh, he's like, uh, John, hey, John, nice to meet you, man. He's like, uh, yeah, I guess it's nice to meet you, too. <laughs> what happened is I humanized him. And I saw him as a soul. And it's like, look, John, whatever negative uh, effect that you got, and I watched my tone, really gentle voice, really quiet. It's funny how if you talk really quiet, the other person will get quiet with you. It's kind of like I'm talking really quiet now. I'll be like, listen, um, John, I'm really sorry about any negative opinions or anything negative you got. That, that was not our intention. And I said that way, not. Close my eyes, not. And I was sincere. I mean, that, that wasn't our intention, really. It was not our intention. And if you got that way, if you got any negative vibes from that, forgive me. I'm sorry. As a personal, I'm sorry for me to you. After that, the guy like, melted like butter. <laughs> well, melted like was a mar- margarine. I don't know. What um, and we just started talking. Hey, why is it that you don't believe in God? And I was just straight with him because I'm a straight person. Why don't you believe in God? He's like, you know what? I just don't know. Da, 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 da. And we actually got a dialogue started. Okay. So praying really helps in your heart while you're talking to the person. Be patient. You will not convert everyone immediately. Um, you will not talk to an atheist and like, you know what? I used Pastor Justin's, you know, three three step how to convert an atheist plan and didn't work. You know, it doesn't work. Um, Jesus waited for Nicodemus to come around almost for three years. And if you actually study the three passages in the chapter in the book of John where Nicodemus is mentioned, you see the steps of Nicodemus. Step one, he's in the middle of midnight, kind of not wanting to be seen publicly. Step two is he's in the middle of Sanhedrin and kind of defending Christ. Step three, he's like all out, game over, I'm going to go for Christ all the way. It took him three years. And Jesus was patient, and we've got to be patient with our friends. Parents, be patient with your kids. They'll come around sometime. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters, our grandparents. Just be patient. Pray for them. It really works. Um, do not be annoying. Do not be annoying. How much do you hate annoying people? We should not be those people. <laughs> okay. Amen, friends? Now, Christ will give us the victory over being annoying people. Okay? We shouldn't badger them. We shouldn't say, uh, you're going to hell. Uh, we shouldn't quote Psalms 14. You know what Psalms 14 says? The, the, the man that does not believe God is a fool. Never, don't ever use that, that verse to a person that doesn't believe in God. Um, and, and you guys laugh, but every seminar I've given this, there are always three people who have used that text to people who don't believe in God. What? You don't believe in God? You know what the Bible says about you? You're a fool. Um, you get no points for that whatsoever. Um, so yeah, please don't do that. Find it in your heart to humble yourself and love this person. It's the hardest thing. It really is. Um, number seven, use questions artfully. Jesus, our Lord, our boss, our master, was the professional in using questions. Okay? Maintain a humble attitude always with meekness and fear. Okay? We read that verse, 1 Peter 3.15. Questions should be asked with a proper tone. Jesus understood the art of questions. They should be used to help you understand what the person is saying. Do not be afraid to interrupt that person by asking a question. Usually they'll give you this huge explanation, da 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 And a lot of times, and this is the honest truth, you guys, in my experience, a lot of people do not know what they actually believe in. They've been told to what to believe by their professors. But they really don't know. 
So by you asking, you think, oh, wait, wait, you said this, and so what did you mean by that? And they'll be open to, to, to answer that question for you. Okay? Use your questions to carve out their beliefs. Um, people rarely understand what they're saying. Could you clarify by what you mean with da-da-da-da-da? Okay? And your, your objective is to find a contradiction. And the thing is, if you find a con- contradiction, you're in the goal. You're in the goal. You're in the end zone. <laughs> uh, you got it good. You know what? You said this before, but you just said this, so that kind of doesn't make sense. And the, the, the reaction should be, uh, yeah, you know what? I should think this through out. And that's when you give your, your perspective. You know what? My perspective is da 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 And it really works. Sidestep certain of their questions with your questions. If they give you a really difficult question, ask yourself your, one of your own questions. It's a classic, classic, uh, what, what is hard is if this person knows that tactic, you're going to ask yourself all these questions. Hey, what do you mean by this? But what do you mean by this? Well, what do you mean by what do you mean by that? And then you just ask yourself these questions and you get nowhere. Okay? But sometimes people ask you difficult questions not because they're really wondering. They're trying to stump you. Um, and you can just say straight out, you know, I don't know. I just don't know. Questions help you to listen. Number seven, answer prayerfully. Each answer should be answered with meekness and fear. Because this answer, you are representing Christianity to them. We have in Michigan a lot of Muslims. It has the highest population of Muslims in North America. And Muslims that we have encountered, some of them are very sincere individuals. And some of them are very passionate individuals, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and they come out with the, the crusades. You know, you Christians, you, you killed us all in, in, in the crusades. And I'm like, man, I'm Korean, man. I was nowhere near the Crusades at that time. <laughs> Don't even start, man. Um, it was the Pope in the 1500s. You know, that has nothing to do with me. Um, but you realize your attitude, you are representing Christianity to them. So never say what I just said to you. And the mic just went out because that was inappropriate. So good. good. <laughs> do not be afraid to direct the dialogue. Do not be afraid to take charge. Christians so often take the defensive. So you let the other person attack and you're like always defending. Take the offensive for a change. Hey, what do you actually believe? Hey, da 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 da. Yes, it is, I think. Is it working? Yes, okay. Do not be afraid to direct the dialogue. Read John chapter 3. The book of John is a hand manual on how to witness to other people. It really is. The first three synoptic gospels were written to know about Christ. The fourth one is written to the second generation of Christians how to witness Christianity to others. Um, Nehemiah chapter 2, we talked about the emergency prayer. Let's actually go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Powerful, powerful story. And we actually have to turn to it for it to be embedded in our minds. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 1, he hears about um, the situation in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah is the cupbearer. You realize cupbearer is not the guy who brings the cup to the king, but he is the official bodyguard of the king. He makes sure that the cup is not poisoned. So he has a position of trust. And when in verse uh, 3, um, the guy, Nehemiah looks really sad. So in verse 3, it says unto the king, verse 2, the king says, Why is your countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sore of heart. Then I was very afraid, sore afraid. And the king said, and then said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why then should the countenance be sad when the city and the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste? Da, 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 da. Verse 4. The king said unto me, What dost thou make request? Basically, the king is saying, I want to give you a blank check. What do you need? Now, if Nehemiah wasn't careful, he would have said something stupid 
and brought all these unnecessary things back to Jerusalem. So what does he do in verse 4? So I pray to the God of heaven. Now we know from this context, he did not kneel in front of the king and pray. Okay. Can you imagine? Here is King Artaxerxes. He's a big you know, gold crown and you know, purple and pearls everywhere. Courtiers everywhere. And guys like, what do you need? He's not going to be like, excuse me, King, can you hold on one second? I'm going to go and pray. I'll, I'll get back to you in five seconds. He doesn't. He prays in his heart. We call it an emergency prayer. Ellen White calls it an ejaculatory prayer. We just shoot out and come back. And it has a weird connotation today, so I call it emergency prayer. Okay. He prays, and in verse 5, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found the favor in thy sight, and read the rest of the chapter, he knows exactly what he needs. Exactly what he needs to bring. Okay. Number 9. Oh, did we finish that? I guess we did. Number 9. Watch subtle influences. Um, this is Ellen White again. She says this. It is said that Hume, remember David Hume, the guy we talked about in the beginning, the skeptic, was in early life a conscientious believer in the Word of God. David Hume was a Christian believer. Being connected with a debating society, he was appointed to present the arguments in favor of infidelity. He studied with earnestness and perseverance, and his keen and active mind became imbued with the sophistry of skepticism. Ere long, he became to believe its delusive teachings, and his whole afterlife bore the dark impress of infidelity. Just from a single exercise. Now, the point is, watch for subtle influences. A single TV show may be the ruin of your salvation. It might be. Um, a single song, we don't know. Now, here's Voltaire. When Voltaire was five years old, he committed to memory an infidel poem. And the pernicious influence was never effaced from his mind. He became one of Satan's most successful agents to lead men away from God. Thousands will rise up in the judgment and run and charge the ruin of their souls upon the infidel Voltaire. Because of a simple poem. Small things. Watch for small things. What's ironic, this is for trivia, the, uh, the apartment of Voltaire in France, in Paris, the apartment has been re- uh, refurnished to be the headquarter office for the United Bible Society. Isn't that ironic? The guy lived his life going against the Bible, and then after his death, his apartment becomes headquarters for the, for the Bible. It's just hilarious. Um, by the thoughts and feelings cherished in the early years, every youth is determining his or her own life history. Correct, virtuous, manly habits formed in the youth will become a part of the character and will usually mark the course of the individual through life. The youth may become vicious or virtuous as they choose. They may as well be distinguished for true and noble deeds as well as for crime and great wickedness. Child Guidance 196. Okay. So watch for the small things. Um, you guys have heard of, of uh, Benjamin Franklin's little story? Um, for want of a nail, a shoe was lost. Have you guys heard this? For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For want of a, ho want of a horse, a soldier was, a horseman was lost. For want of a horseman, a battle was lost. For want of a battle, a, a war was lost. Okay, you guys understand? I'll explain. Um, yeah, no, um, the guy didn't have a nail because he didn't have a nail. He didn't have one nail to put a shoe on the horse. Because the, shoe didn't, uh, the horse didn't have a shoe, the horse couldn't go out. Because the horse couldn't go out, the, the horseman couldn't get on the horse. Because the one guy was not part of the battle, they lost the battle. And because they lost that battle, the whole, was, the whole war was lost. 
all because of one nail. Okay. So watch for the small things. It it um it does this. Okay. <laughs> Snowballs. There you go. Okay. Number ten. Engage society. Do not be afraid of society. God is the author of science. Scientific research opens uh, to the vast, to the mind, vast fields of thought and information, enabling us to see God in His created works. Ignorance may try to support skepticism by appealing to science, but instead of upholding skepticism, true science contributes fresh evidences of the wisdom and power of God. Rightly understood, science and the written word are agree, and each sheds light on each other. Together, they lead us to God by teaching us something of the wise and beneficent, beneficent laws through which we work. Basically, what it's saying is this. Science and religion work together. We need to go out to society and just bring all these things together. Anthropology and Bible. Sociology and Bible. Politics and... <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> Political science and Bible. Computer science and... You know what I'm saying? Engage society. The Lord takes us Adventists and He sprinkles us throughout society. And we need to engage, change, come back, get restored, live in the woods for a while, come to Weimar, get healthy again. Sprinkled out again. Okay, that's the Enochian metal, uh, model. Okay, go on the world, do your do your thing, come back, recharge, go out. That's the model. Okay, that's what we got to do. So don't be afraid of science. We need some godly scientists out there. We really do. Wouldn't it be great to have an Adventist scientist who believes in the seven-day creation and can articulate it, instead of going to some of our institutions and to advocate some things that we don't believe in. There are Adventists at some of our denominational universities who believe in theistic evolution. You know what that is? It's a compromise, basically. God exists, but he uses evolution to create his things. I'm like, what kind of weenie God is that? <laughs> if he's going to create something, he should create with his mouth, yes? Let there be light. <laughs> Why does he need to wait a million years for a turtle to pop out of the ocean? Doesn't, that's just illogical to me. Um, they're, just, they're trying to compromise. We need some gutsy people out there. Amen, friends? We really do. Number 11. Avoid common mistakes. Number one, do not condemn through look, tone, expression, or word. We do this very easily. We condemn, don't we? Two, do not be afraid to think. Now, let me qualify the first one. Do not condemn, but do not be afraid to point out where they're incorrect. Don't ever wag your finger like, that's wrong, young man. Um, that usually doesn't help. Number two, don't be afraid to think. Three, avoid fideism. You know what fideism is? Fideism is, is the worst thing you can say is someone asks you, you know, how, do, how does this work? And, how, you know, a young person comes up to me and says, you know, where do dinosaurs come from? And how do we explain the, the existence of the universe? And if you say, well, all you need is faith, that is the worst answer you can give. Some people use that as a blanket answer, right? If you don't know, just say you don't know. But Fideism says, all you need is faith. And faith will, is get, will get you through all these things. This is not faith. This is just a light uh, blanket answer to cover up your own ignorance. Um, four, and I mean that in a nice way. Number four, if you do not know, then say you do not know. Uh, what is number five? Do not speak Christian language to people who are not Christians. Um, do not say repent, give your heart, surrender, look to Jesus, sinfulness. They don't understand these terms. Um, we had a Christian, oh, no, no, uh, Chinese communist come, and she was baptized by one of our students. She had no idea what these terms meant. 
She lived in China for her whole life. So when she came to uh, one of the sermons, and, and, and uh, the pastor said, you know, look at the Lamb of God. She's actually looking literally, where is the Lamb of God that I tended to look at? You know, you know give your heart to Jesus. We have a physics uh, PhD from, from one of the uh, old Soviet, Soviet countries. He took it literally. Why do I need to take my heart out? Is it a donation service? You know, like organ, like how am I supposed to live? And it may sound funny, but you know, some people, you gotta be honest. Some people don't know this language. We gotta be sensitive to that if they are of that persuasion. Um, surrender. If you talk to a, uh, someone from the, the third world who has come from a war-torn country, surrender, they understand surrender a bit differently than we do. Okay. Surrender to who? And they raise your hands up. And, uh, anyway. We'll go on. <laughs> do not dumbify yourself to non-Christians either. Um, do not spell out. Don't speak slower and speak louder. It doesn't mean, doesn't, I don't know why we do that, uh, but we think that kind of helps. It doesn't. Uh, number 12, think of a strategy. And it really takes a strategy to, to win some of these friends. Number one, these are some examples of a strategy. Establish Christianity's historicity. For example, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' claims. You guys realize that Jesus made crazy claims. He says, I'm God. That's the craziest claim you can make. He said, before Abraham, I am. Now, grammatically, he should have said, before Abraham, I was. But he says, before Abraham, I am. The, the name of God is I am that I am. Basically saying, before Abraham, Yahweh. By the way, that's me. That's oh, What? Should be a response. Okay. So you can do that as a beginning. After that, establish the Bible's inspiration. There, if you go to the bookstores, the Bible is being attacked. Back when the Gospel, uh, Gospel of Judas came out, Da Vinci Code came out, just being bombarded with the, the Bible being incorrect. We can establish uh, the truth of that, of, of the Bible's inspiration. Number three, relate these doctrines to personal life. Okay. Give your personal testimony, and then finally bring them to meetings, an evangelistic, evangelistic meeting. That's one strategy. Another strategy is offer an argument for the existence of God. You can use the cosmological, theological, miracles, mind, idea of God, moral, aesthetic, experience, Pascal's wager. Um, listen to David Asterix. He has some good material on this. And there's also some other good books that I'll give you later on. If you guys don't know what these means, that's okay. These terms mean, that's okay. Uh, these are just arguments for the existence of God. Now, if you give these arguments, you've proven God, but you haven't made God a reality. By your life, you make God a reality for them. Second, you connect that God would, such a God would have to communicate using the Bible. Then you establish the Bible. Then you establish Christ. Then you lead into the personal life, give your personal testimony, then bring to meetings, and you baptize them. Okay? So one, another strategy. Okay? And every person has a different strategy, but those are some. Fourteen, read. We need to read. One, read C.S. Lewis. Um, he has some good... I don't recommend... Uh, his children's books uh, for Adventists, but he has some good apologetic material. He really does. In easy English, one of the best we have. Uh, Peter Kreeft, he is a Catholic theologian, um, but he has some great material also. Now, we as Adventists, we need to be careful, read everything critically. We really do. And what, what was it that Elder McIntosh says? You eat the melons, but you uh, spit out the seeds. We need to have this, but well, regarding these guys, they have some great approaches, great stuff. 
Um, Francis Schaeffer was a Calvinist. Rabbi Zacharias, have you guys heard of Rabbi Zacharias? He was actually the apologist that Elder McIntosh was talking about, the foundation, about the building, the first story. Anyway, if you remember, you remember. He is a, I think, an ex-Hindu that became a Christian. William Lane Craig, he's a guy from California, brilliant guy. J.P. Moreland, Alvin Plantinka are philosophers. Now, we studied, uh, we talked about, we talked about, we talked about, uh, there, uh, Bertrand Russell was a philosopher because of this one guy. The majority of philosophers are atheists. Remember that guy? Powerful influence. There's a guy named Alvin Plantinga. He pops up on the screen. Humble guy. He grew up in Michigan. And he starts saying, look, if an atheist can advocate his ideas, I can also do the same for God. And he starts having these profound ideas on explaining God. He is a, I think he's a Reformed Dutch Baptist. So such thing? I just made that up. Reformed Dutch something. And he's so great that Notre Dame hired him, a Catholic institution. Now because of this one man, in 2007, 30% of philosophers in North America are now Christian. 30% because of one man. Um, he basically undid a lot of what uh, Bertrand Russell did back in the 50s. Now, we are called to do the same. Amen, friends? Do not be afraid of intellectual giants. I mean, he just he did the same. With God's help, we can do the same. Um, 30%, that's huge. That's philosophy, PhDs. So you go to you know, Sac, Sac State, and a third of the philosophy department might be theistic because of this one guy. Um, he's in his older, elder years now. Um, and there's Norman Geisler, a uh, Christian guy. And read Ellen White's Great Controversy. This will be one of the clearest uh, arguments for the existence of God. It really is. Powerful. And again, we talked about the contribution of theodicy. Number 15. Use apologetics carefully. Basically, last seminar and this seminar is apologetics. Okay. Um, apologetics is not used to win an argument. It is not a guarantee that all people will come to the Lord through argumentation. Paul went to Greece and he argued for the existence of God. Did they all believe? No, but there are sincere believers there. There were, and they were one to God. But some people have a genuine intellectual barrier, just as some have physical, emotional barriers. Okay? Some people have health barriers to Christ. So we bring them to Weimar, we get them physically good, and we bring them to Christ. Yes? Some people have emotional barriers. So we bring them to a Christian counselor, we help them deal through their, through their issues, and then we bring them to Christ. But there's some legitimate people out there who have intellectual barriers. I know this one father, he just can't get over dinosaurs. And like, he believes everything in Christianity, but he just can't get over dinosaurs. It just sticks out in his mind. And he wants to know what happened to dinosaurs. We as Christians have to help him get over this one barrier, and the guy's in the goal after that. But some people have legitimate barriers. We've got to distinguish the difference between the two. And conclusion, warning. Watch out for vitriolic individuals. If they start making fun of you, just walk away. Um, you don't need to come down to their level and insult them back as much as your carnal heart wants to. <laughs> uh, you don't have to um, because you don't have to. Address other issues. A lot of individuals, when they realize you're winning the argument, they will sidestep the issue and talk about other things. Some people feel very uncomfortable about talking about heart issues. Yes? Um, a, lot, a lot of people, I went to a Catholic high school for four years, a lot of individuals of the Catholic faith 
Catholic, Catholic faith. Catholic faith. Um, do not believe in God because of a personal issue they had with their priest. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so when you approach upon the existence of God, they feel you're talking about that specific issue. You've got to watch out. You've got to be sensitive to these things. And they might try to get it in other circles or other tangents. Just watch out for that. Um, watch out for debaters. Some people have no desire to get converted at all. They don't, they don't really care. They're not even curious. They're just there to, for the argument's sake. Yeah? You guys are like, yeah, we know those types. Um, they're just there for an intellectual exercise. And the Holy Spirit will give you discernment saying, hey, don't bother. This is just not a good use of your time. Others are devil's rabbits. They just start talking about every other issue out there just to get you riled up on something, and then they just run away, as a rabbit would. Um, last quote for today. Find the steps of Christ, 111. Disguised it as they may be, the real cause of doubt and skepticism in most cases is what, friends? It's a love of sin. Now, she says here, which is great, in most cases, most cases, which means what? Not all cases. But usually, those who are intelligent, if they love a particular sin, they will intellectually defend their sin in an intellectual way, intelligently. That makes sense? I used intelligent three times. <laughs> so, we as Christians, if we're not careful, and if we listen to the argument and we say, you know what, that's really intelligent, we may respect that position, and we are not to do that. Amen? We are supposed to see through that and say, you know what? He's just defending sin. Let's get to the core of the issue. Um, the teachings and restrictions of God's word are not welcome to the proud, sin-loving heart. And those who are unwilling to obey its requirements are ready to doubt its authority. Okay? So usually, all arguments aside, it just comes to the hardcore issue. People love sin. They're just going to use every argument to defend it, basically, in the end. That's it, friends. I think that's the all, all conclusion. Oh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 10, th 3 through 5. I think I have it up here. This is the final verse for today. I'm letting you out a little bit early. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. What the Bible is saying is, if I'm arguing with this individual, I'm not arguing with her. Don't take it personally. There's something bigger beyond this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and in, in the Greek it's talking about casting down reasonings, the thoughts of the mind, how you reason things out. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to bring our imaginations, but also the way we think into the captivity of Christ. Amen, friends? That is our final objective from this seminar. We're going to have a word of prayer, and if you guys have any questions, come up, and you, you have an announcement. Um, but I'm letting you out early. Thank you so much for your, your uh, what is it called? Attention. Attention. Thank you so much for that. Um, and hopefully, this can be of help for you in your witnessing. Has it been a blessing to you? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you have heard this amen. This is in praise to you, Lord. We thank you so much for, for you having taught us. Thank you so much for, for this WYC this opportunity for the Sabbath afternoon. Lord, now that we have learned this, we ask for opportunities, Lord. Put us in difficult situations. And though our carnal natures may want to run away from these opportunities, use us, Lord, effectively. May we be pencils and paintbrushes in your hand. 
and help us to articulate, help us to defend, help us to engage, help us to be courageous, help us to be like Christ in this regard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe Rachel has a...